Welcome to the podcast service of Sydney's FM 103.2. Available on the web at fm1032.com.au. Hello, I'm Kel Richards. Normally on a Friday night at this time we have a Friday five-minute mystery, but we've sort of set our regular format on this program to one side for a few weeks so that we can go over the most important thing in the world, something that really matters. Our journey towards God, our journey through life, our journey towards death, towards judgment, our journey towards God. That's what we're looking at over these few weeks. So tonight, no uh, no Outback Mystery. There will be in a couple of weeks' time when we finish the series, but not tonight. Instead, we continue how we, how we undertake our journey in the company of Jesus and why it's important that we do that, who Jesus is and why he matters. If you'd like to know more about the historical reliability of, uh, of Jesus and of the New Testament documents about Jesus, which I was talking about last night on the program, uh, can I recommend a couple of books? I should have mentioned this last night, but I'll, I'll tidy it up now. Uh, A couple of books written by the distinguished historian Dr. Paul Barnett. He wrote a book called Is the New Testament History? And another book called The Truth About Jesus? And another book called Jesus and the Logic of History? And they're great books. And if you want to find out more about the fact that when we're looking at Jesus, we're not looking at myth and legend. We are looking at solid historical fact. Take a look at those books. Now, in addition to the New Testament part of the Bible and the solid historical data there, There are also historical documents written by people who were the enemies of Jesus. Two Roman writers, Pliny and Tacitus, describe what the first Christians were like, followers of someone known as Jesus who had been crucified under the Roman governor Pontius Pilate and who was said to have risen from the dead. Pliny was disturbed because these Christians, he said, prayed to Christ as to a god and because the pagan temples were being deserted as more and more people became Christians. A Jewish historian named Josephus describes Jesus' life and teaching in some detail, including his death and reports of his resurrection. And these, these are not people who are on side. These are not believers. These are unbelievers. But they're there in the contemporary historical documents. There are heaps of reasons for saying all of this is fact, not fiction. This is history. Jesus then cannot be dismissed as myth or legend. The Bible is God's own record of what he, God, has done in history. It's a record of God's historical intervention into the human journey. There can be no more solid foundation than that. So we're stuck with a reliable record in which Jesus claims to be God. And that raises the second question. When he made this claim, was he lying? Perhaps someone might suggest he thought his teaching would have more authority, would be more likely to be remembered if he made this outrageous claim, claimed to be God. But it is a huge, monstrous lie if it's a lie. A mammoth deception, a gross and ugly lie of the worst sort. Does that kind of dishonesty and manipulation fit in with the personality of Jesus, who emerges so powerfully, powerfully from the pages of the Bible? The impossibility of this is best summed up by Professor C.S. Lewis, a former professor of literature at Cambridge University. He wrote, quote, Lewis said, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying that really foolish thing that people often say about him. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic, on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman. 
or something else. End of quote. That was a quote from C.S. Lewis. Now, the challenge here is the same as it always is. Read for yourself. Read one of those short accounts of Jesus, one of the biographies by Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or John in the New Testament part of the Bible. Notice Jesus' moral purity and dignity. Notice those little teaching stories he tells. They're called parables. And the astonishing insight into the human heart that these stories display. Notice the powerful effect he has on those around him. His enemies are powerless to arrest him until he allows himself to be arrested. Even his closest friends and followers stand in awe of him. Whatever such a man needed to do, he did not need to lie. More than that, deception was against his very nature. He said of himself, quote, I am the truth. You'll find those words in John chapter 14, sentence 6. It is conceivable for Jesus to be a liar. Is it conceivable? It is inconceivable. It is inconceivable for Jesus to be a liar on such a scale. Thirdly then, is it possible that he was self-deluded, that his mind was disturbed, that he was some sort of megalomaniac with a God complex? Well, stop and think about this for a moment. If someone claims to be, and seriously believes themselves to be, Napoleon, the rest of their behaviour tends to be of a piece with this delusion. Their delusion affects the whole of their personality. I mean, there are no great surgeons or scientists who think they are Napoleon. I mean, they might have hugely inflated egos, but they're not mentally sick. They know who they are. They're not confused about their own identities. Severe delusion about one's personal identity means one cannot function professionally, personally, socially. But Jesus functioned brilliantly as a professional teacher. Socially, he was comfortable, poised, composed, dignified. None of the eyewitness reports match a wild-eyed maniac who mistakes himself for God. And look at the impact he had on those around him. If he was a crazy, raving fanatic, the Jewish authorities could have safely ignored him. If his teaching had not been delivered with the power of cold, clear sanity, the Roman authorities would never have felt the need to execute him. Mad? No, the sanest man who ever lived. Read the eyewitness accounts for yourself. Make the discovery for yourself. That is the challenge. So Jesus was no legend, no liar, and no lunatic. All that remains is that he was exactly who he claimed to be, the Lord of creation, the Creator God, the true and living God come in human form to rescue and to rule. What's your decision? Who do you say Jesus is? This is the key question that Jesus asked. You'll find him asking it in Mark chapter 8, sentence 27. Do you dismiss Jesus as a mere legend, or as a liar, or a lunatic? Or do you acknowledge him as the Lord of creation? It matters, because great things hang upon your decision as to who Jesus is. The Bible says, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The bit of the Bible that tells me that is John chapter 20, sentence 31. In other words, there is only one way Jesus can join us on our journey, and that is if he takes the lead, if he takes charge, if he navigates the path, if we follow him. Jesus is either the Lord of our journey or else he's not with us at all. Well now, on some journeys there is a crucial point, a turning point. 
After climbing hard paths up steep hillsides, it can be a great relief to hear the guide say, we're over the worst of it now, it's easy from here on. But if we're defeated by the hard, steep part of the track, we shall never complete our journey. This series of programs, taking as a kind of guidebook, as it were, on the journey towards God, now brings us to the hardest, steepest part of the journey, the part where we need to look at why Jesus matters, at why he should be our guide, at why we should put our life's journey in his hands. So then, why does Jesus matter so much? Why is he important? Jesus matters because he died. As surprising as it sounds, this was his purpose in coming into this world. He put it like this. He said, the Son of Man, meaning himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The bit of the Bible that tells me that is Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Physically, Jesus died a death of appalling brutality. After he had been condemned to death in a mockery of a trial involving perjured testimony and political pressure, Roman soldiers beat him and spat upon him. Then he was taken to a place outside the old city walls of Jerusalem, along with two thieves who'd been convicted earlier. The place was called Golgotha, meaning the place of a skull. The crucifixion began at nine o'clock in the morning. The trial had been rushed through in the dead of night. The soldiers nailed six-inch iron spikes through Jesus' wrists and feet and fastened him to the heavy wooden cross. The cross would then have been lifted up and dropped into a socket that had been chiselled in the rock to hold it. Most people don't realise that crucifixion kills by asphyxiation. At first the victims support their own weights with their arms and legs, but as pain and exhaustion take over, they sag forward. When that happens, they can no longer expand their lungs, and they suffocate. It is a slow and agonising death. Jesus died at about three o'clock in the afternoon, after hanging on the cross for six hours. To make sure he was dead, one of the Roman soldiers thrust a spear deep into his side, and blood and water flowed out. You can read about that in John chapter 19, verses 33 to 36. Why did they do this? Well, for a couple of reasons. In the first place, the Roman army was highly disciplined. Roman soldiers knew it was costly to make a mistake. For instance, if a Roman soldier escorting a prisoner allowed the prisoner to escape, the soldier was punished by being compelled to serve the remainder of that prisoner's sentence. Now, In an army like that, you're careful not to make mistakes, so they made certain Jesus was dead. Secondly, Roman execution squads were experts at crucifixion. They did thousands of them, and the spear thrust in the side was clearly their standard method of ensuring death. When a Roman execution squad pronounced a man dead, you can be certain he was dead. Why did Jesus allow all of this to happen? Knowing his enemies were plotting to kill him, why didn't he flee or offer some resistance? In fact, he prevented his followers from resisting the soldiers who came to arrest him. The answer lies in the purpose of his death. Jesus died on behalf of, as a substitute for others. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You'll find those words in John chapter 10, sentence 11. And who was it he was dying for? Us, you and me. In his death, he was dealing with the judgment that you and I face at the end of our journey through this world. Well now, tonight I think I've begun talking about the most important part in this whole series of programs of Journey Towards God. How we can successfully complete that journey, and it all depends upon Jesus and upon his death. I've just touched on that tonight and opened it up. When we come back on Monday night, we're going to resume this and unpack in detail why this is the case. So if you're really interested in making your peace with God, if you're really interested in your journey towards God going well, 
Be sure to be listening Monday night, 10 o'clock, for the next episode in this series. And if you've got a friend who's interested in this stuff as well, who wants to know about how to get through life, get through death and judgment, journey towards God in a way that really works well and ends in paradise. Got a friend like that? Encourage them to be listening Monday night, 10 o'clock. Here's our thought for the night from John chapter 20, verse 31. The Bible says, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Until Monday night at this time, thanks for your company. I'm Kel Richards. Bye for now. We hope you enjoyed this FM 103.2 podcast. To listen to more great audio, visit fm1032.com.au.